Food for Thought on News Talk 760 WJR is presented by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan and by the Food Bank Council of Michigan, creating a food-secure state. Here's your host, Dr. Phil Knight. Welcome, everyone. Thanks for listening to Food for Thought. Dr. Phil Knight here. And uh, today's guest is Dr. Diane Golinski, and she is the... uh, childhood food guru all across Michigan, works for the Michigan Department of Education, and uh, Dr. Diane Galinsky is going to be with us here on the show. I'm excited that because this is a show that is long overdue for us here on Food for Thought. Today, we're going to talk about childhood hunger in Michigan and why it's so important that we tackle and win this issue. Come back and be with Jerry Brisson and I with Dr. Diane Galinsky in just a moment. Welcome back to Food for Thought, sponsored by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan and the Food Bank Council of Michigan. Welcome back, everyone. Jerry, welcome to the WJR studio once again. It's always good to be here and, uh, and you know, really changing the conversation about food insecurity in Michigan. It's, it's very exciting. It is exciting. And today we're going to focus on changing the conversation about childhood hunger in the state. Because you know, I, we've we've talked about senior hunger here with uh, with Lori Solotoro from the Michigan Health Endowment Fund early on when we started the show. You know, Michigan is aging. We're the tenth oldest oldest state um, in the nation, and by the year twenty thirty, twenty five percent of our residents will be sixty five or older. So, one of the programs we just funded that we thought were was extremely innovative. It's a pilot um, through Henry Ford Health System, and it's an initiative to look at more innovative ways to address social isolation using postal workers, so a partnership with the uh, U.S. Postal Service, such that they can check on older adults, help them get connected to services they may need, like Meals on Wheels. We've had uh, Paula Cunningham on from the uh, AARP. First, just let me thank you for the work that you're doing to bring this food insecurity issue to the forefront, even in a more uh, profound way than it has been in the past. And you've been working tirelessly in that effort, and we all very much appreciate that. Um, it's exacerbated by a lot of a lot of different issues. Going door to door and talking to seniors and seeing the impact that food insecurity has on their lives, which uh, we were able to do firsthand in Flint. Um, not only were a lot of our seniors impacted by the water crisis, but their inability to have access to to food. And uh, we've emphasized that. And you, you know, a couple of really sad stories there about seniors and hunger and. Uh, man, that motivates me. That moves me. But I'm going to tell you, Jerry, there's nothing that moves my heart to help solve this problem like childhood hunger. Yeah, and I find that throughout our service area when I'm talking to people about why we do what we do, almost the first question is about kids and how do we reach more kids are we reaching enough kids but then immediately following is the question well why you know if the economy's better why do we have all these hungry kids so i want to i want to touch on that a little bit and just say we know that one in five children in our state is at risk of food insecurity or is food insecure and at risk right. of hunger maybe yeah. that's a better way to yeah, say yeah like 22 percent. that's exactly right you know so so that's an awful lot of kids and and people are astounded and so I, I want to I just put this in context. In southeast Michigan, the five counties that Gleaner serves, and, and Forgotten Harvest serves three of those counties with us, that's 300,000 kids. 
They're getting wow. free and reduced lunch at school. That means they are at poverty or slightly above poverty level. And poverty level for a family of four hmm. is less than $30,000 a year for that family. So so we're, we're not talking about people who are living high on the hog, right? And, and of course... Um, 47% of those households are employed, right? So right. so the, the relationship between employment and food insecurity has changed. And one of the consequences of that change is you have a lot more childhood hunger. And even though the economy is better, and even though unemployment as a statistic is down, you still have a lot of childhood hunger because employment and food security don't line up the way they used to. Yeah, back, you know, in fact, we're going to do a show where we just, I guess we recently just did a show where we we used the bookends of Ronald Reagan's quote that so many people love to say, which is the best social program is a job. And in 1982, 1983, when he, be, you know, he became president in 1980, but when he said that quote, it was true. There was a direct correlation between full-time employment and your family being food secure. But now 23, 25 years later, Jerry, we know from our own research, both practical boots on the ground observation and our data studies, that that connection is no longer as strong as it used to be, or in many families, present at all. Right, exactly right. And so we've talked about people have more month than money. And, right. I, and I like that, that saying because it's easy to remember when you have more month than money, you have food insecurity in your household. So people start to make trade-offs and, and, and try to make it on their own. And again, most people wait too long to ask for help. And I know that's not the impression people have, but our experience in pantries and in the network of, of and remember, this is over 600 organizations just in Southeast Michigan. It's over 2,000 organizations statewide right. that are serving these families. So this isn't just a small number. Uh, they wait too long. When we finally see them and they're asking for help, they have waited months and been food insecure and hungry for months. And what's happening to these households? Toxic stress. And these kids are living in these environments of uncertainty and destabilized realities, right? So so just framing this issue of childhood hunger, it's important to note that these are not made-up numbers. These are real numbers based on changes that have happened in our environment that our safety net hasn't picked up yet. Hmm. And that's why we have so much childhood hunger, even though the economic indicators of unemployment look a lot better. Right, right. And this, again, it just goes back to that basic disconnect. And it's been an assumption that we made. If you're employed, you're going to have enough money. Well, the problem is we, have a, we just don't have enough jobs that are paying a living wage. Now, they're paying a wage. That's a lot better than nothing and better than some things, but it's not yet enough for the family to be able to be free of any assistance that they might need. And again, it's not it's not bad behavior that's causing this. It's it, it, in in many cases You've got the war on poverty from the 1960s and the social programs that were created to address the issues of their day. And they did a fantastic job of addressing the issues of their day. Fast forward all these years and, and it's time to relook at these things and say, are they still providing the same amount of help that they used to? And is this the help that families really need? Child care costs have skyrocketed. If Absolutely. you've got a couple kids and you need that child care, having two working uh, people in a house 
household. So you need even more child child care costs. And I'm not saying they shouldn't be. We're not evaluating child care costs. We're just simply saying right. households need more money based on today's working world than they did then. That's right. Well, somebody that's coming on the show, as I mentioned in the in the opening, is Dr. Diane Galinsky. And she is the Assistant Director for Child Nutrition Programs, Intern State uh, Child Nutrition Director. She works for the Office of School Support Service within the Michigan Department of Education. And if anybody can help frame this and talk about next steps, what are we going to do to help alleviate, uh, help solve, help create food security for children, it's Dr. Diane Galinsky. And Jerry, she's going to be with us in the next segment. It's Food for Thought with Dr. Phil Knight on WJR. Get in touch with the Food Bank Council of Michigan. Visit fbcmich.org. Once again, here's Dr. Phil Knight. I'd like to welcome to the show Dr. Diane Golzinski. She is the uh, director, assistant director of child nutrition programs, intern state child nutrition director. And Diane, you work for the Michigan Department of Education, and you and I have... uh, we have a lot of things working together, and I count you as a great friend and a super partner in this mission to create food security across our state, particularly for children. Thank you, Phil. I feel the same. So is, it, tell us a little bit about, because, uh, you know, when you read uh, about you and your credentials, uh, you're eminently qualified to lead this work. And I'd just like you to introduce yourself a little bit to our listeners. Wonderful. Thank you. Well, I work at the Michigan Department of Education, and I am currently acting in the role as State Child Nutrition Director while we are working on hiring a new Child Nutrition Director. I am responsible for the day-to-day operations of the federal child nutrition programs, such as school lunch, school breakfast, child care meals, summer meals, Um, emergency food assistance program, commodity supplemental food program. So if it involves food going to the hungry children of Michigan, it goes through the Department of Education and through my office. Diane, there's a stellar group that you've put together that is uh, heading to Richmond, Virginia in a few weeks to participate in a learning lab. And I know for me, I'm really excited not only to be with you, but the team that you put together, and then for the, the mission we're going to Richmond and what we're going to learn and discover. So tell our listeners about this uh, extraordinary opportunity. Phil, I am so excited that we have the opportunity to do this. The National Governors Association has given Michigan a grant to take a team of people to Richmond, Virginia, to work on a plan for addressing childhood hunger in Michigan. So we have a representative from the governor's office. We have support from legislators. We have you as the head of our Food Bank Council for Michigan, as well as the vision that you have for addressing hunger and poverty. We have the head of our food assistance program, the the supplemental nutrition assistance program. Um, We have representative from Michigan No Kid Hungry, as well as myself and another person from our office, all heading to Richmond to put together both a legislative agenda and a communications agenda for how we can tackle childhood obesity and try to really help those kids, because that's what it's all about, is making sure that these kids have all that they need to be successful in their future. 
Wow, I'm so excited to be a and and honestly, I'm Diane. I'm humbled to be a part of this group, and I'm uh, excited that you ask uh, me and the food bank council, and thereby the, all seven food banks that serve our state, to participate in this um, kind of a once in a lifetime opportunity. Tell us a little bit about. I, I know Stephanie in your office. She helped write this proposal. I have mm-hmm. it sitting in front of me, and. Um, and of course, I've read it about seven times <laughs> since we started <laughs> these conversations. And uh, I don't want to wish my life away, but I'm really wishing that we could get to, uh, you know, uh, the middle of June so we can get to Richmond and begin to learn together. Yes, exactly. We are so excited for this opportunity. In our office, we have been using the motto, feeding the whole child the whole year, hmm. and how we can maximize these programs to meet the needs of kids where they are and when they are hungry. And bringing those partners together to help us do that, just breaking down those silos and making sure that we are all working together for the same vision and the same outcome is going to be a great opportunity for Michigan. And we're really looking forward to what we can do through this partnership and making this plan come together and come alive for the kids of Michigan. Hey, Diane, Jerry Brisson is here with me. He's my co-host here on Food for Thought, and you know him to be the CEO at Gleaners Community Food Bank here in uh, Detroit, and also he's the chairman for the board for the Food Bank Council, so he's the guy that said I could actually go with you on this trip. Uh-huh. And I know that Jerry is, uh, has when I've shared with him what you just shared about the feeding the whole child wherever they are, and the concept that you bring to the Michigan Department of Education and all of the uh, programs that you're giving leadership to, when I shared that with him, I got to tell you, I, I think he was visibly excited to know that we have such leadership at the state level who is emphasizing not just giving kids, you know, just doing the routine thing, but really how do we create programs that address the whole need? You know, and we've been working with you uh, in Southeast Michigan, with MDE, that is, to, yeah. to do programming and reach more kids every year and, and you know, try to find innovation so that we can describe better for everyone in government what is the best way to reach these kids. And we're absolutely convinced that if you don't reach the whole child for the whole year, you'll never accomplish grade reading level. You'll never That's accomplish right. math at the right level. I mean, you're going to see backsliding for sure every summer when kids don't have access to the school breakfast and lunch and and after school snack programs but even during the school year those families that need that need a little bit more than that um, being focused on how do we get these kids to full food security all year long is an absolutely critical thing and unthinkable that we're not there you know we have a vision in our department under superintendent Wiston to be a top 10 education state in 10 years And a part of that is addressing food security and making sure that these kids, the last thing on earth they should ever have to worry about is if they're going to eat. And so if we can let them then focus on being a kid and learning and taking care of the food behind the scenes and making sure it's there when they need it, then the kids can truly do their job, which is to be a learner and be a good student. 
So I want to take a, just a little risk. Are you, are you ready for it? Absolutely. <laughs> so, you know, one of the things, and, and I have four kids, and two are, two are in college now, and two are still in, the, in grade school. And, um, and I see the, the kids in their classrooms regularly. You know, I volunteer, mm-hmm. my wife sure. volunteers. And I'm, I'm fairly convinced in my own personal experience, admitting this is somewhat anecdotal, that some of the kids that come to school and are distracted and end up on the track of, mm-hmm. you know, they've got attention deficit disorder, I'm fairly convinced that at least some of them that problem really is food insecurity. Absolutely. Or not access to food that's healthy that feeds their brain. Right. Exactly right. right. And so, you know, when you look at the cost of administering a program where you're identifying kids with a, a condition that's that's then treated with medication compared yeah. to the cost of just providing enough food, it is ridiculously simple to get to. Let's just provide the food. And what I would like to do is take at least the programs that I have responsibility for, turn that on its head, and let's be the programs that are proactive and we're out there and we're ahead of that curve so that that's not something that others need to worry about. And how much less chaotic is that for the families themselves? And so it's, you know, we love working with you. We, we always have, and we appreciate what you're doing to, to drive better solutions for food insecurity and education, all the things you're doing. It's incredible work. Thank you. It's all for the kids. Dr. Diane Golzinski, she is the Assistant Director for Child Nutrition Programs, the State Child Nutrition Director. And, uh, and Diane, you are leading a team, and we're heading to Richmond to address this very issue of childhood hunger. And I can't thank you enough for your leadership and especially for investing your life in this great mission of childhood hunger. Folks, we'll be back right here at WJR Studios in just a moment. You're listening to Food for Thought with Dr. Phil Knight. Brought to you by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan and the Food Bank Council of Michigan. We're back. Food for Thought. Jerry Brisson. Uh, what did you think about Dr. Diane Galinsky? Well, she's a huge advocate and somebody who has committed her life to this work and is getting a lot done and, and someone who's not afraid to consider how can we do this better? And when you've got big systems in place that do it a certain way, that's no small thing to be in that system and say, you know what, I'm not afraid to look at what I'm doing and do it better. And I think food banks are in the same place. Let's look at what we're all doing and figure out how to do it better. Well, I think efficiency, which we have talked about within our network, within our board meeting uh, at the Food Bank Council of Michigan, is a is a huge goal for us. How can we do what we do better, more efficient, more effective? And um, and I think some of the data projects that we're investing in with thanks and help from folks like the Michigan Health Endowment Fund to help map Michigan, where are the food insecurity families living, and then uh, link to feed about what is the data telling us about the nature of these families, and that helps us determine what kind of needs they have and how do we direct programming and resources to not only the geographical areas, but what types of programming do we take to meet the needs that the families are experiencing. And that sounds like an easy change, but there's a lot of challenges in there because it's really simple for pantries to say everybody gets the same thing. 
Because then you don't have people fighting, right? Yeah. You say, why did they get 10 pounds more than I do? Well, they're in a different situation, right? And to try to explain all that gets to be difficult. And yet, that's the challenge we have to be up to, to say not everybody needs the same thing. Different people, different households need different things. Let's understand how to turn that into a systematic process that delivers the right amount of food at the right time you know, to people in a way that is convenient and accessible for them. It's a challenge, but it but it can be overcome, and you start with getting the information right. So childhood hunger, Jerry, you're the thought leader here. You're the uh, the, the the industry expert, and I'm I mean that as a sincere compliment. I when I opportunity came to do this show, you know, the first person I thought of was you, and thought. Man, you forgot more about this work than I'm ever going to know. <laughs> and probably have said a few things that I've already forgotten on the show, yeah. <laughs> That's all right. All right. They're, they're, they're historically preserved, so we can, we can pull them out. So what are some of the programs that are addressing childhood hunger? Yeah, so let's just cover some of the big ones, right? And we could probably spend a show and a half or two shows just just in the descriptive process. We're not going to do that, but we're going to have a Good. list at least <laughs> so that people know. Okay, so the biggest one is the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, SNAP. used to be called Food Stamps in Michigan. It's EBT or Bridge Card. That's big. That's that's nationwide $70 billion program. Now, without getting too excited, the average household is getting about $80 a month, right? So, you're, you know, that right. makes it at least a little more understandable. WIC, Women, Infants, and Children, is another directly food supplemental program run by the government. It's very important, specifically targeted to households with small children and, and infants. Um, the Meals in Schools is a hugely important program. That's breakfast and lunch, with lunch being by far the biggest program. There's also an after-school meal or snack that rolls into that. Very important for reach kids. And then during the summer when school is out, summer food service program in Michigan, you see it out there as meet up and eat up. That is another important program. Out of the government arena, food banks provide school mobiles and backpack programs, as well as work through our pantry network all year long, really, to reach households. Those are the biggest programs in the food bank world for reaching kids that are very important. So now we've just listed what? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight or nine programs. So part of our job is to figure out which of those programs deliver the most benefit for the cost and is it food people really want and need and getting to them in a way that's accessible and convenient and appropriate. So that's a big responsibility that we have so that we can say back to the community, we are doing the best thing we can do with the money we have. I got you. Those are that, that's great, man. You laid that out there and held my attention for all these government programs and all these private programs and and uh, lots of great work going on, right? But you know, I mean, as a guy fairly new to this work, I mean, isn't that enough? Yeah. So if you what we led into this this show with was understanding that the relationship between employment and food security has changed and that the and there's a lot of reasons for that change and and without making anyone a good guy or a bad guy or a system's good or bad we have to realize that uh 30 years ago if you were employed you were food secure pretty certainly and now you're not and so when you've got the that big of a relationship change in just our our 
environment, then you can't uh, you can't say, well, you've got all these programs and they used to work. Why don't they work anymore? That's why. You, you can't just say, well, they should still work. Well, that's ridiculous. Right. Things have changed. People don't have as much household income, and the household income they have is being spread around in different ways. So some of that certainly has to do with people's ability to make good choices. And you'll have a lot of conversation from people about, why don't they just spend better? I had one lady tell me they should just eat oatmeal every meal <laughs> all day, every, all the time, and then they could afford to eat. Well, I mean, you know, there just aren't that... I don't think that's a very good answer to the question. While it may be from a purely financial standpoint, a really cheap way to get a certain amount of nutrition, it's not balanced. If you look at the USDA research on what a balanced plate looks like, it should be half fruits and vegetables, and oatmeal doesn't fall into that category. (laughs) Either one. Again, not to say that families don't make those choices about getting food that's cheaper in order to solve hunger. Food insecurity is bigger than that, and we have to be concerned about the development, especially of children, and balanced nutrition has to be part of that equation. So certainly we want people to buy less soda pop and snack food as an overall percentage of their budget, and you've got to be working on that. And our and our education programs really try to help people budget right. and buy the, and prepare the right foods at home. That's all really important work. But fundamentally, we have a relationship between employment and food security that has changed. That means the programs that used to provide enough don't provide enough anymore. And so we're at a place where we've got to understand a lot more clearly who are these households, what do they really need, and what is the program that's delivering the highest return on investment. And when we do that, we're going to create opportunities for innovation, which we've already talked about many times on the show and better ways to reach households based on how the world is today. So let me tell you where I come from from this. I got to look at this from what I know, right? And what I understand is leadership. And so I got to look at it through a leadership lens. And what, what you're describing to me is all the way back to when you talk about the poverty level. That hasn't changed in almost 75 years. Right. We're right. still calculating benefits and programming on a 75-year-old standard. That's leadership. Right. That's a leadership issue, yep, Gary. Totally right. It's it, the inability to change, the inability to be flexible in your plan. Look, you got to have clarity of your mission in uncertain times. And that's what we're experiencing, right? You got to have clarity of mission, you got to have flexibility in your plan, and and you've got to be able to to take what used to be, learn from it, and then be able to apply it now in the future so that you can have the opportunity to create the, the programs now that meet the needs, not based on what it was 75 years ago. Agree 100%. So look, here's what I want to do in the last segment of the show today. I want to talk about efficiencies. That's a big challenge for us in the Food Bank Network, but really in this, if we're going to solve childhood hunger in this state, we're going to have to become more effective and more efficient. And I want us to talk about, talk about ways that we can do that specifically And then I've got a call out for the folks who are listening to this show. We're going to need their help in order to make this happen. Jerry Brisson, Dr. Phil Knight, we'll be right back here on WJR. It's Food for Thought with Dr. Phil Knight. And now another Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan moment. Scott Thomas from Sanilac County. And Scott, it looks like to me that you are a winner. In fact, the winner, the recipient of the Young Farmer Agricultural Employee Award, 
And the first thing I should say is congratulations. I know they don't just hand that out to anybody. Yep. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, it was quite the honor to get that. So tell me a little bit about that award and why you won it. Um, well, I've been applying for it for two years now, and last year I was a runner-up. And uh, I've been just wanting to, and so this year I applied for it again and won it. But I mainly did it because, you know, it's a, an accomplishment. Trying, You know, want to see what your expectations are, and I fulfilled them. You right. know, and, you know, it's just one of those things that, you know, why not try, you know, go for something. Sure, absolutely. Well, I I know it's very competitive to receive that award in our relationship with the Farm Bureau, Michigan Farm Bureau and Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan. Uh, we understand that they don't just hand these awards out and they do this to to recognize some of the young agriculturalists who are working on a farm or in a, a operation and looks like you're working in a large grain operation in Sanilac. Yes, I am. Yep. Yep, I've been working with him for, uh, with my boss, Jeff Eager, at Eager Farms. Been here since uh, 2000, uh, 2003, roughly. Or, you know, late 2002, early 2003, I started as part-time. Right. Um, I worked, I live only a couple miles from Jeff here at the farm, and he needed a hand one fall with sugar beets, and next thing you know it, i am uh, <laughs> been here and also... Uh, managing my own family farm with my mom. Okay. Um, so, yep, it's been one of those things that, you know, it's, I've always had to drive to farm, and, and you know, there's nothing else I really did besides farm, and it's what I love. I mean, if I didn't like it, I wouldn't be doing it. Well, they say make your passion your paycheck. It sounds like that's what you've done. Yep, yep. Well, congratulations on receiving the Young Farmer Agricultural Employee Award. And uh, thanks for your service. And we here at the Food Bank Council and uh, at WJR, we recognize that uh, that solving hunger starts in the field. So we appreciate your work and how you're uh, dedicating your life to this great mission. Yep. Well, I appreciate it, and uh, it was great talking with you guys. And uh, you know, it's always a good thing to spread the word about it. Absolutely, Scott Thomas from Sanilac County. Everyone, thanks for being with us, Scott. Jerry. A lot of great information today. Uh, I really appreciate your ability to uh, connect the dots for the rest of us here, specifically about childhood hunger. So we're, we've talked about this from uh, a state level with a really great educational leader who is committing and investing her handful of life into childhood hunger, Dr. Diane Galinsky. Um, we have talked about the opportunity that, that she has created for seven of us from the state to travel to Richmond, Virginia, to the National Governors Association in the middle of June, um, and in order to learn about how to create both legislative and communication agendas that can nudge this work of childhood hunger and creating food security. So, um, but all of that's great and it's necessary, but you gotta have efficiency on boots on the ground program that are actually delivering the food to the people who need it. And not just any food, right? The food that people want and need. So how do we get better at that? Yeah, and nice nice of you to frame it in terms of want and need. You know, I think there's three questions that we're going to be fighting. The first is, what do people want? The second is, what do they need? And the third is, what can we afford? 
And all three are important to understand because none of us can afford everything we want for sure. Most of us can afford at least most of what we need, but we know how to grapple with the gap between what we need and what we can afford. It's really what do people need what do we have to afford? And that's why efficiency is such an important factor in this. So when we look at the programs we've had and how they've been delivered, let's take one concrete example of summer food service. It was developed to help fill the gap in the summer when school is out and provide an environment for kids to get at least lunch. Remembering that school Mm. lunch is the biggest of those school programs, right? right? So I think rightly people said, well, let's extend that during the summer. So so the programs that have been developed as part of Meet Up and Eat Up have been an awesome effort to accomplish the goal of extending school lunch with the parameters that this is really just for the kids. It's not for their whole household. It's just for the kids. And it's providing a prepared meal on site that someone is physically there to watch the child consume, right? Again, with the idea we are just extending the school lunch program. Okay, what have we learned? We've learned that by trying to extend that program during the summer, we can effectively reach 17% of the kids that need the food. Right. Right. Okay. In a few years of hard work, we've reached 17%. We know that's not near enough. So we can accomplish the other things we want to accomplish by feeding kids. So just to clarify, we're with, with that summer feeding program, we're reaching 17% of the children who are eligible for free and reduced breakfast and lunch. That is absolutely right. Okay, so the first thing I have to say is, you know, hallelujah, 17%. That, that's 17% of the kids who need this food on a daily basis and, and need access to healthy, nutritious food that are getting it. And I applaud everyone who's given leadership to that. But there's a challenge in reaching 17% as well, right? Yeah, a challenge that 83% still need to be met, right? Right. So, so okay, that's all right. That's how innovation works. You start something, it's a good idea, you work it hard, and you see how far you get. So now we're at a point where we have to say, okay, if we know we still have to reach 83% to, to imagine that we can have a food-secure community just for children and just for the summer, now we got to say, what are the trade-offs in that? Are we willing to give families, for example, mobile pantries during the summer in addition to these lunches that are going to feed more than just children? Are we willing to accept that trade-off knowing that the intention was to extend the summer lunch program, but the reality is to reach those kids coming every single day to a location is not the best solution for the majority of kids in the situation where they need additional food help. I think we ought to make that trade-off, and I think we can make a very strong financial case that if it costs me $2.50 a meal during the summer to deliver the Meet Up and Eat Up program, and I can deliver a, a mobile solution for those families for literally less than half of that, the parents that also get fed are worth the cost because now I can reach more kids at significantly less cost, and I'm also going to reach the parents. It wasn't the original intention of the legislation, but it's an important consideration when you look at how can you reach more families. So it depends on what the value is, right? I mean, if the value is that you want, if the le- the intent of the legislation, and I don't know this for certain, for sure, I haven't had this discussion with the framers of the legislation, but if the intent of the legislation was to make sure the resources went to children and children only, and we're not going to feed parents, they should be feeding themselves, okay, then this is the cost, and if that's your value, this is the effectiveness of that program and its cost. Right, right. right. But if, 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 if economic sense <laughs> <laughs> is, a is, value. is your value, 
then then it then it changes the dynamic significantly and opens up ways to reach a lot more kids with a lot less cost. So when you think about the number of people that have to be there every single day to manage a program where you deliver prepared meals that are physically viewed by some monitor versus once a month the family comes and get enough food to help for a week. Now you've got one stop versus five and you've got a lot more food at once and the parents are going to prepare that so they're going to take, the parents will absorb the cost of all that meal preparation which is why it's so much cheaper to distribute that way. So you're having the parents actually assume the cost of preparation and as a benefit they get food. So let me ask you a question as we close this show and uh, I offer you a little bit of food for thought. Um, Where were you in 1969? Uh, Three years old. Three years old. So you were a little young to remember the moonwalk. Yeah, right. (laughs) That's right. You know, uh, so uh, I can remember Walter Conkright, and not everybody who's listening to this show is going to go, 1969, I wasn't even born yet. You know, there's going to be a group of people that listen to the show, they're going to say that. Okay, we'll Google it, all right? 1969, (laughs) it was the moonwalk. I mean, most of us can know, it's one of those moments in life, like, unfortunately, like 9-11, you remember exactly where you were when it happened. And I remember Walter Conkright, CBS News, leading us through both Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin walking on the moon. Now, what does that have to do with food insecurity and childhood hunger today? It has something to do with it, Jerry, because here's your food for thought. Buzz Aldrin, astronaut who, who walked on the moon, opened a door to innovation and discovery that we never dreamed possible before, said this. If we can conquer space, we can conquer childhood hunger here at home. And I'm with Buds Aldwin, and I know you are too. And I know the rest of you are as well. There's not one of us listening to the sound of my voice that want to see childhood hunger continue. We want you to come alongside of us and become a champion for childhood hunger. Find us on the web. Right now we're at wjr.com food. Follow us on social media. And we'll solve this together. Thanks for listening to Food for Thought. For Jerry Brisson, I'm Dr. Phil Knight. We'll be back next week. Food for Thought has been a presentation of Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan and the Food Bank Council of Michigan, creating a food-secure state.